And we are going to look this morning, as we wrap up chapter 12 of Revelation, we're going to look at some of the hope amidst the difficulty that we can have in this world, in this broken, fallen world, even during Christmas. I started off this series by mentioning that no one likes war, especially at Christmas time. And you remember uh, I read from the article concerning the Christmas truce of 1914 and World War I. And it gives evidence to the statement that nobody likes war, especially thinking of momentous occasions, sentimental occasions in our culture. Yet there is a greater war that we must be mindful of as Christians. And it's the war in which, thankfully, Jesus has already achieved ultimate victory. But it's a war, nonetheless, that we're still in. And for the past four weeks, we've been talking about this battle and its results. And maybe it seems a little bit odd looking at Revelation 12 at Christmas, but at the same time, I think it is so beneficial for us. And over and over again, been repeating this key thought, this key truth, and that's that Christ's victory is the dragon's defeat. Though the child seemed helpless, verse 5 of chapter 12 tells us that he ascended to God in victory. And he's at the right hand of the throne of God today. So the story really has been written. We can celebrate Christmas tomorrow with the utmost confidence that in Jesus we too are victors. It doesn't matter how many presents are under the tree. It doesn't matter what those presents are or what our circumstances looking ahead to 2024 look like they're going to be. If we are in Christ, we are victors and we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 is the, the battle cry of the believer's confidence. But Satan is still on the attack. 1 Peter 5 Satan prowls around like a, a lion seeking whom he may devour. In chapter 12 of Revelation, we see he is, he is pictured as this dragon, this serpent. Though he is a defeated foe, he still seeks to wreak havoc in this world and on God's people. So today on this Christmas Eve, we are going to conclude our study in Revelation 12 by looking at this continued war on the woman. And this is a war that's going to continue until Christ's second coming. Yet in the midst of this war, again, we are assured of ultimate victory because of the child that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus came as a weak, helpless baby. I mean, can you, can you imagine that? That Jesus is born, and the very one who breathed life into Adam 
took his first breath as a humble baby. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that shocking and just like, it's, 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 it's impossible to, 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 to understand. Yet it's true. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to just look at these final uh, four or five verses, verses 13 to 17 of, of this passage. And we're going to view and contrast the dragon's pursuit of the woman with her protection during this time of sojourning in this world. Brothers, sisters, this morning, we can rejoice for the battle has been won. Let's, let's pray to the Lord and, and, and let's uh, begin this final look at Revelation 12. Father, I thank You that, Lord, the story of Christmas is one of humility. It's one of weakness. It's one of even chaos. As we think of Mary giving birth, not in the presence of nobles, in the presence of princes and kings, but in the presence of animals. And then in the presence of lowly shepherds. But God, You are so strong and so mighty that while the kings of this world would take offense at being in such a humble position, Lord, that does not intimidate You. Lord, You chose for Your Son to be born in such humble means. And we get the picture in Revelation 12 that even the dragon himself was there seeking how he could devour this child. But God, this story of humiliation ends in a story of exaltation. Lord, one day you tell us that every knee will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess that He is indeed Lord of lords and King of kings. So Lord, we as Your people have the privilege tomorrow morning to celebrate our Savior, our King, the One that we worship and adore. So God, would You just further cement this time of worship in our hearts this morning? that we may truly come to You in adoration and awe. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in verse 13 of our text, Terry read the whole chapter just to give us the context of what's going on here. But in verse 13, and we're pretty much this morning going to be going back and forth, the dragon's pursuit, the woman's preservation... Verse 13, we see the dragon's pursuit. There's rejoicing in verse 12 in the heavens because Satan has been cast down. He no longer has access to the heavens before the throne of God to accuse God's people. 
There's great rejoicing, but it says, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. We see the dragon's pursuit. Look at verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The dragon pursues the woman. He's chasing after her. Now, I don't know about you, but being pursued is, an, is a kind of a scary thing. I mean, how many of you ever have dreams that you're being chased or pursued? Is it just me or is every time that, that, that you have a dream like that, Something wonky's going on that like you can't move or you, you can't see where you're going or you're like going in slow motion. Is it just me or does that happen to you? Yeah. And, and it's never a, a good feeling to be pursued in a dream like that. Well, here John is having a vision and the woman is now being pursued. But there's something unique about this pursuit. Now, when I'm having a dream, I don't know what's going to happen, whether, whether uh, whoever it is that's chasing me is going to catch me or what's going to happen. Usually it's something wonky. All of a sudden, um, a circus clown will just come out of somewhere or something. I don't know. Um, but here, we know what's going to happen. This is a pursuit of the dragon in light of defeat. He's a defeated foe. Why is he pursuing the woman now so ferociously? Because he realized that he he realizes he himself is defeated. Verse 5 of chapter 12. The child that the dragon is trying to murder has now been caught up to God in victory to His throne. He can't destroy the child. The child is safe and victorious. He realizes in verses 7-9 through of chapter 12 that He is defeated in the heavenlies. There is no longer any place for the devil. So now he turns his attention back to the woman. And his focus is now back to the earth. The woe here of verse 12 is not a woe for believers. Remember last week I mentioned the woe here is for those who are earth dwellers who are unbelievers. And it just so happens that the havoc Satan is unleashing on this world, believers, though the battle is also against Christians, Revelation chapter 12 pictures believers safe in the hands of God. His focus is on the earth in a rage. This is a pursuit, though, in light of defeat. But this is also a pursuit with an objective. In verse 13, the dragon has a clear objective here, and this is a war against the people of God. 
He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. It's interesting that this word pursue could also, is also translated throughout the New Testament as the word persecute. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 15.9, and we have already seen over and over again how, how chapter 12 continually makes allusion back to the Exodus event in Egypt. In fact, the whole of Revelation, when you look at, at the different judgments in Revelation, the bowl judgments, the, the trumpet judgments, those are descriptive of the Exodus plagues that were put on Egypt. And it's so interesting that Exodus 15.9, speaking of this is the, uh, Israel's celebration song as they were delivered through the Red Sea as Pharaoh's chariots are chasing after them. They sing, it says, the enemy said, I will pursue. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Pharaoh's attitude to the children of Israel as he's pursuing them to bring them back to Egypt is the same attitude of the dragon. In fact, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, that word pursue is the same word pursue here in Revelation 12. How does Satan pursue? He pursues through persecution, through hardship. That hardship is going to take any number of ways, depending on culture and context, but Satan's desire is to destroy believers. In many parts of the world, this is through physical persecution. In places like the United States of America, where that's not the, the context, it may be that Satan would love to destroy you through social persecution, social embarrassment. But what we must keep in mind is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted, same word as pursue here, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Stephen, in his sermon before he was stoned, said this to the Jewish people in Acts 7, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, that's Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It may come in various shapes and forms, but because this world is not our home, we will be tempted to make it our home by avoiding hardship and difficulty and persecution. That's why Jesus says to one of the churches in Revelation 2.10, we looked at this last week, He says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. 
Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You see, folks, in all of these instances, what we are seeing is this pursuit. The pursuit to devour the people of God. But ultimately, this wrath, this anger is not against God's people, but it's utmost, to the utmost, it's against God himself. This is a war against God. The context of this whole thing at the end of verse 13 is the male child. The one that we celebrate at Christmas as in the manger. This is a war against God that Satan aims to hurt God by pursuing his people because he can no longer hurt the male child. So the dragon is on hot pursuit here, but verse 14 shows us that the woman is protected. But the woman, here's what happens in the, in the midst of this pursuit, in this vision. The woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent in the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. How is the woman protected here? First of all, through deliverance. God delivers His people. How does he deliver his people? Verse 14 says, through the two wings of the great eagle. Now John is describing for us what he is actually seeing in the vision. And as we have the totality of God's Word, we notice connections throughout Scripture. That this is not... While the vision may seem weird that all of a sudden the two wings of this great eagle scoops up his people and takes them to the wilderness, this is not unfamiliar to the Bible. Once again, we have allusions back to the Old Testament. Do you know what Jesus said to the children of Israel before he gives them his law in Exodus 20? He says this in Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Get this. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Wow, Revelation 12 doesn't seem so confusing, does it? When we understand the Old Testament. That again, we are having the same imagery of God's protection and deliverance that has tied the Scriptures together. In fact, we don't have time to turn there, but you can, if you're taking notes, you can re, uh, write down to look at later Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 to 12. There is a beautiful picture that God says, um, I found you in the desert, in the wilderness, and I put you under my wings and cared for you. God cares for His people. It doesn't matter if you think that things are going well. 
If you think this Christmas, oh, things are going terrible. If you are under, uh, f- feel that, that, man, you know, the temptations and different things are, are, are struggling in my Christian life, God cares. In Isaiah 40, where God promises His people that there will be a second exodus, there will be a renewed deliverance. The people are in exile. He says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, again, the same terminology. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the hope for the people of God. Past, present, and future. Is this your hope this morning? Are you thinking that somehow with your own strength and your own abilities, your own personality, your own talents, your own resources, that somehow you're good enough? You can rely on yourself, on your intellect, on your personality, Let me tell you, in an instant, that can be overthrown. There is one and only one confidence for God's people, and that is the Lord Himself. Well, this deliverance is, and the vision is from the two wings of a great eagle, and this this great eagle flies the woman into the wilderness. The woman finds safety in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of barrenness and danger, but it's also a place of protection in the Scriptures. In fact, we we have in this vision pretty much the same scenario seen from a different angle, a different aspect in this vision as what we've already read in verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Again, John is seeing the repetition that God will care for His people. In fact, I like what One theologian says, just as Israel went into the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt, so the people of God go into this symbolic wilderness after the new and greater exodus is accomplished by Christ on the cross. And that's what we see here. That the child has come, was born, that the child paid for sin, was victorious and ascended to God. And now God's people continue. As we look at this wilderness theme, Deuteronomy 1 verse 30 says, The Lord your God who goes before you will Himself fight for you, just as He did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you. Sounds really familiar. Carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went 
until you came to this place. The context here is what we're looking at in Joshua, that the children of Israel are about to enter the land of Canaan. And they have seen God's protection and now they are called to continue on because the same God that provided in the past is the same God that will provide in the present and future. And that's, what, that's the heart of, of what we're reading here today. All of these allusions back to the Old Testament to where God brought His people out of Egypt through much turmoil, God is promising, Christian, I am going to bring you safely home out of the turmoil of this world just as I did for my people in Egypt. That's what we see here. That's the hope. He not only delivers the woman, but He provides. He gives nourishment. It says she is to be nourished Same wording as verse 6. She's to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. There's a set provision, which is the place of the wilderness, for a set time. A time, times, and half a time. Really, that's that's insane in different words. The same thing that was said in verse 6, 1,260 days. A time, time, half a time. You'd think three and a half. It's 42 months times 30 is 1,260 days. And as I mentioned, the purpose of our series isn't to go to all the intricacies of what Revelation is talking about, but this is no doubt, everyone can agree, a reference to Daniel's 70th week. And the key truth of what, of, of what John is wanting to tell us and what, what we learn from this vision is that God is in charge of the times. God has a set time to provide and protect. And later in Revelation, it talks about Satan's time and it says he, his hour that he has given is short. There's a set time where Satan wreaks havoc. But all of those times are established by God. Folks, the very very fact that you are living today in 2023 in the situation that you're at is appointed by God. God has all things in His hand, including your life. It's easy to think, you know what? God has His life or her life in His hands, but not mine. That's not what Scripture says. The question is, are we going to look to the only one who can provide deliverance and nourishment, or are we going to try to receive deliverance and nourishment from something or someone else. Because it will not be sufficient.
In verse 15, we go back to the dragon's pursuit. The serpent then is not successful in pursuing the woman. So now we see another vision, uh, uh, another scene in this vision of, of, of the, the dragon's pursuit. And this can seem really weird too. Like, what in the world's going on here? The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. Is it just me or do you think of, the, of, of vomit when you read this verse? You probably always will from here on out. <laughs> it's not vomit, it's water. But it's weird, isn't it? Revelation is not written like a sci-fi novel to, to weird us out. Again, these words are filled with Old Testament illusion. The dragon's pursuit here is this water like a river that comes out. It's a descriptive picture. I mean, it's not, it's not the only time that we'll read of descriptive pictures in Revelation. Did you? In Revelation 19 and verse 15, it talks about uh, Jesus, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Now, not literally, a sharp sword isn't going to come out of Jesus' mouth to swipe down the nations. It's a symbolic picture presenting spiritual truth. God's Word is final. He will have the last say. But it's a descriptive picture to present truth. This is also, this weird, this weird vision is also a very fitting picture, actually. Again, drawing from the Old Testament and drawing specifically from Pharaoh in Egypt. Did you know that Pharaoh was pictured as a dragon? In Psalm 74, verse 14, you can read that later. He's pictured as a dragon there. In Ezekiel 29, verses 3 and 4, it's not on the screen. I'm just going to read part of the verse. Just listen. It says, uh, Ezekiel says, Speak and say, uh, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams. You remember the Nile River is the main river in Egypt. We also read about Pharaoh's actions against the Hebrew babies in Exodus 2, verse 22, where he orders the babies to be taken and thrown into the Nile River. Pharaoh acts like this great dragon, pictures this greater dragon, Satan, And what does he do with this water spewing out of his mouth? He seeks to sweep away the woman with the flood, it says. In the Scriptures, the floods are a description for hardship and persecution once again. In fact, David, when he's talking about his enemies in Psalm 18 and verse 4, he says, the cords of death encompassed me the torrents or floods of destruction assailed me. 
In Psalm 69, verse 2, David says, or the psalmist says, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. God comforting his people in Isaiah 43 says this. You're familiar with it. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. We have here a statement, a vision that alludes to the picture of a flood that time and time again in the Old Testament is seen to be something of possible destruction and devastation to the people of God. So what's the application here? The application is that Satan was and is at work. And the thing about Satan is that he's not super creative. And in a lot of ways, he doesn't need to be super creative because the same tactics always work. What we see here is at the end of Revelation, Satan using the same exact tactics that he did at the beginning of the Bible. Like what one individual says, the way that Satan has opposed the people of God in the past is similar to the way he oppresses them now that Christ has come. Don't think that the trials, the difficulties that you go through, that I go through, are somehow unique to us. You know, if our country you know, continues to, to go down, don't think that this is something unique just to us. Satan's tactics are always the same. And the end of the story, as we see here, is also always the same. Christ and His people are victorious. And we see that in verse 16 as we see once again the woman is protected. This flood water comes on this helpless woman and it says, but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. The water's all of a sudden dried up. It's gone. You see, the woman's protected because of divine help. The earth came to the help of the woman. This is divine deliverance. The earth opens, it swallows the river that the dragon had poured out. Again, we have Old Testament allusion here, the crossing of the Red Sea. Did you know that in, in the song of victory, the Israelites said, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Talking about Egypt pursuing. 
We also see the earth swallowing in Korah's rebellion against Moses. You remember Korah is riling up the people to rebel against Moses. And, and what happens? The earth literally swallows them up. You see, what's the application here? The application for us is that we must have, in light of the divine help and the divine deliverance that God gives us, we have to have a divine dependence. Hearts that realize that we are completely dependent on God. Hearts that are assured that He will deliver His own. If you continue to read just the, the next chapter in Revelation 13, you will see that, that God's people will be slaughtered. But that does not mean a lack of deliverance. It means that what Satan does here on this earth cannot ultimately destroy. So as we close this morning, we're going to look at one final pursuit. This isn't pursuit of the woman. This is, in the vision, pursuit of the offspring. Satan sees that once again, God delivers. And, it, and then it says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Pursuit of the offspring. It is done in the context, in verse 13, the context of Satan's defeat. He's cast out of heaven. Verse 17, this pursuit is in the context, it clearly tells us of great wrath. He's furious. Great wrath at God's preservation and protection. The same exact word is used in Revelation 11, verse 18, when it says, The nations raged. Absolute fury. Satan's defeated again, realizing that, man, I can't defeat the male child, and I also can't defeat. His people. But he continues to pursue the woman's offspring. In fact, the verse here says he makes war. You remember I said at the beginning, nobody likes war. But he makes war. There's nine mentions of war in Revelation. And do you know that eight of the nine are in the context of Satan making war on the followers of God? There's only one place where it is reversed, and that's what we read in chapter 12, verse 7. But that is an ultimate defeat of Satan. He makes war on the rest of her offspring. You may say, Pastor Adam... Um, What's the significance here of mentioning the woman and then mentioning her offspring? And again, uh, there's differences of interpretation here. I, I personally think in this vision, the woman and the offspring are two different people, right? The offspring. I think the theological truth 
is that these are, are, are distinct yet the same. I believe that the woman represents in all of Revelation 12 the people of God. The people of God up until the birth of the Messiah, the Jewish people after the birth of the Messiah, the Jews and the Gentiles, which are the church, the offspring are those saints that are here until Jesus' second coming. This is all of the people of God, past, present, future. The truths of Revelation 12 are for all of us. We each must be mindful that Satan is out to destroy, but God is greater still. Amen? I don't think that we can just label this as for people in the future. This is for us. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 12-14, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue. Here's our job. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. That's our calling. Continue. And folks, if you're a Christian here, holidays like Christmas, while the presents are fun and the traditions are fun and the festivities are fun, holidays like Christmas are meant to be visual reminders in the ordinary course of the year that we hold to something greater than the routines that we're every day coming up against. That there is an ultimate reality that must break through into the ordinary everydays of our lives lest we forget. Are you continuing this morning? Are you seeking to be a learner? Not simply a head learner, though that's needed, but also a learner in your life to, to be able to ground yourself deeper and deeper into the things that you, that you believe, knowing that it is Scripture. You see, in light of this perseverance, this continuance, we see contrasted with this great wrath of the dragon, a great witness of God's people. The woman, her offspring, how are they characterized? As those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. That is to describe us. 
keeping the commandments of God in the midst of a wicked world and holding fast to the testimony of Jesus. One person said the key to victory in this book is clear, obeying God and witnessing to Jesus. Folks, as we conclude, Revelation 14, 12. Towards the end of this section of chapters 12 to 14, John writes, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We are to persevere in faithfulness. To not get distracted from the allurements of this world through the difficulties that God calls us to traverse in this world. Will you be faithful? 